What's good, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the What's Good Games podcast. Normally, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I, of course, am still Andrea Renee, joined by Brittany Brombacher. Still Brittany. Still Brittany. But we have a little bit of a different show this week. So before we introduce our, our special guest, we, of course, want to say thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewie's Godson, Alex Agopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, Punctified, and Maddie. Dre. Thank you so much for all of your support to everybody at patreon.com slash what's good games where you can listen to the show ad free or get your name shout out which we're just about to do but before we do that I want to let you know today's show is brought to you by MeUndies we'll have a message from them in just a little bit so speaking of shout outs Britt I feel like we always do the shout outs for our patrons sort of towards the end of the show and I was like Let's switch it up and just do it at the beginning of the show. Variety is the spice of life. Andrew. Yes. I love it. And because we are recording a special episode, our our third chair, Rihanna Manuel Pena, is not here to join us, but she will be back in the next episode. So without further ado, should we read a bunch of names and hopefully not mispronounce them? Oh, we're going to mispronounce all of them. And I will start <laughs> with Maddie Dre. Robert Griffin. Fargo Brady. Ryan Saffel. Nathaniel Edison. Bill Rosas. Tyler Adams. Erskine James. Casual Blasphemy. Trick 24. Omega 3. Jason Luck. Marooned at Noon. Daniel Hall. Eric Z. Dracus 3442. Uh, mm, Chewie's Godson. Mick at the Nanobiologist Abramson. Axis Oddities. Tara Bruno. Tramp Barry. <laughs> Sean I. Elizabeth Douglas. Brian R. Johnston. Justin Foshi. Patrick Landry. Punctified. Rob Leonard. Patrick Higgins. <laughs> Kenneth Stinnell. <laughs> Trent Pennington. Ferris Atia. Jessica Bloom. Patrick Weller. Matthew Godard. <laughs> Noel Navarez. Chris Wang. Tyler McCall. Devin Nitz. Adrian Arak Williams. Shai Jackson Burgess. Renat Burns. Gary Peck. Dale Sun, Robert F. Freemring, Carl Milne, Marcus Ian Brown, Pete Shoemaker, The Wall of Bill, Teresa Enert, Jason Demers, you fixed your <laughs> pledge. Good job, baby. Look at that. Our family is just right next to each other. Love uh, it. Alex Rogopoulos, Andrew Cotton, David Icolucci, El Michelle, Gio Corsi, Crispy koala. Now, is this a koala on a skewer? Is it like overcooked? What's why is it crispy? I mean, that's that's terrible, actually. Now that I'm thinking about the events that have transpired over the last few years. See, I was Australia, just thinking but... about the cookies, like the koala cookies. Crispy. Oh. Maybe my brain just wants sweets right now. I don't know. Molly Bittner. Ozzy Bakia. Nicole Humphrey. Stephanie Fitzwilliam. And John Drake. If you want your name read on the podcast, you can support us and our voices in video games at patreon.com slash what's good games. Thank you to all of these wonderful people and the rest of our supporters over on Patreon. We say it all the time because we mean it from our hearts. We love that you guys support our show and we could not do it without you. And thank you to everybody who has been with us since day one. There's like a lot of those names that I've, we've read literally every single month since the beginning. 
And we still don't know how to say him properly. It's that's true. Fine. It's true. Every time I see Ferris, I'm like, I'm so sorry I, about your laughing. I know. And he just laughs it off. And God bless him for having a good, a good sense of humor about it. Because I'm God. like, I'm trying over here. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's go ahead and get into our special episode. So we had the opportunity to sit down with the president of the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, Patricia Vance, and talk to her about who the ESRB as an organization, what they do, and where we're at in the world of rating video games. And it was a really fascinating conversation. It really is. And I just want everyone to go into this interview with an open mind. You're going to learn a lot. This isn't just about, yeah, these are ratings on a video game. We learned a lot about the process of it, what goes into it, the other work that the ESRB does, but you don't really know about. It's likely you don't know about, I should say. So just go in and listen and get schooled today by Patricia. I did, and I feel a lot better (laughs) from it. She is wonderful. And she also gives a bunch of resources. So if you are a parent or if you're just interested in ratings overall, you can keep listening and uh, learn about them. So enjoy. What's good, everybody? Andrea and Britt here with a very special interview. We are joined by the president of the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, Patricia Vance. Pat, it's so great to have you on the show. I am so thrilled to be here. Thank you. I know we've been working quite a while with uh, both of our schedules to make this happen, so we're glad that we're finally able to have a chat because the ESRB is one of those organizations in video games that feels so ubiquitous, is always present and around and doing things, but we don't really get to hear from you guys very often. And I love that you're out there making sure people know that you guys have a mission and you're doing great things. So for people who are listening are watching and aren't familiar with who the ESRB is, do you have like an elevator pitch that you give to people? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, look, first and foremost, we were created to make sure that consumers and particularly parents have the information they need to make informed purchase decisions for their families and for their kids. So we really pride ourselves in the fact that for over uh, 25 years now, um, we've been rating games Um a lot of games and an increasing number of games as the market keeps getting bigger and bigger. Um, so we do a lot beyond ratings as well that gets uh, not as much notice, but is also really important. Um, we, When the industry set out to create a self-regulatory body, the ESRB, um, we also introduced a set of advertising guidelines. So the ESRB is also very involved in monitoring the advertising and marketing for the industry and making sure that companies are responsibly marketing their product, which means displaying rating information, not inappropriately targeting ads for mature rated games and the like, Uh, making sure that the ads they create aren't offensive to the public at large. Um, And there are, there's a lot involved in that. We have a whole department dedicated to monitoring um, many companies pre-clear their ad campaigns with us, their media buys, as well as their creatives. So we are, we are very busy uh, on an ongoing basis to uh, make sure that, you know, the, the, the industry is responsibly marketing product. It's an important part of our mission. And another part, um, which was introduced a little uh, around 2000, was when the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act was introduced we got into the privacy certification business. So it's an opt-in program where companies come to us. They want us to work with them to make sure that their 
privacy policies actually reflect their privacy practices and that their websites and mobile apps um, are monitored on an ongoing basis to make sure that they not only are compliant with the privacy, stated privacy policies, but that they're also compliant with the law, which is a moving target right now. There's a lot going on in privacy regulation, not just here in the United States, but also in Europe and, and in other territories around the world. So that's a really increasingly important part of what we do. Uh, so we're, you know, we've got a lot of a, a large dedicated staff of people who love the games industry, but also really love the mission of our organization, which is to make sure that consumers are protected, but also that companies themselves who are in the business um, are acting responsibly. That's really great to know. I'll admit, I did not know half of that. Yeah. I think when folks think of the ESRB, they think of that little black and white corner, little sticker with a rating yeah. on it, but they That's don't right. quite realize how many people are involved. You did yeah. say it's a large organization. Do you know off the top of your head roughly how many people work for the ESRB? Well, in relative terms, it's not as large as the companies that we deal with, but we do have 30 some odd full-timers okay. plus a, a whole host of part-timers. I, I would also mention, you know, one of the things when I was hired, which was almost 20 years ago, um, one of the sort of Achilles heel of uh, Achilles heels of the industry was kids could walk into a brick and mortar store and purchase an, a mature rated video game without a lot of pushback, um, even if their parent wasn't present. And so when I joined, one of my first hires was to hire Randy Walker out of the retail business to work on a whole retailer program. And the Federal Trade Commission, believe it or not, used to monitor our industry and uh, send in mystery, do conduct mystery shop audits. Like, like secret shoppers for no ratings? Secret shopper audits. And they started after Columbine. Oh. So when Columbine happened, President Clinton asked the Federal Trade Commission to report to Congress on an ongoing basis on the marketing of violent entertainment to kids. And one of the things that our industry was not doing very well at the time was enforcing its marketing guidelines, but also enforcing um, store policies not to sell mature rated video games to kids. So in the, the first audit they did, which I think was 2000, uh, I want to say uh, maybe 2000, it was about 15% of the time a kid would get stopped. Mm, um, that's, and uh, that's not very high. <laughs> not very high. Movies were doing a bit better at box office. It was sort of in the 50 percentile range. Um, by the last audit they did, which was 2013, we were up to over 85%. Wow. So, um, and that doesn't just happen by itself. It happens because retailers make a commitment to enforce those store policies. They train their store associates. They put register prompts in when you scan an M game over the counter, you know, when you check out and you want, uh, you know, you check for ID. That's all part of a plan. And we actually do our own mystery shop audits twice a year to make sure the companies are compliant. And we pass back the store level data to them so that they know which stores are compliant and which stores need some remediation. Um, but that's, you know, that that's all stuff that happens behind the scenes that nobody really knows about, but we do because, you know, we 
we, you know, as I said earlier, we just take a lot of pride in making sure that the companies are acting responsibly and that consumers are protected. It's interesting because I vividly remember going into R-rated movies underage as a kid and, you know, like sneaking in, so to speak. And I think a lot of kids have that same experience with video games as well. And, you know, when I think of organizations like the ESRB, I just always assume that an entity like that exists to keep the government from overreaching and regulating. Instead, we say, hey, we're an industry that wants to be responsible and wants to make sure that, you know, we're taking care of the people who are consuming this content. Let us handle it. Would you yes. agree with that kind of mindset? Oh, completely. I mean, even look, the good news is the U.S. has something called the First Amendment, which you've probably heard about. Yes, um, indeed. Which, protect, <laughs> which prohibits the government from regulating speech. And as you're probably well aware, there was a supreme, famous Supreme Court case back in 2011 that Antonin Scalia wrote the opinion on, which basically shot down a California law that was what that was in, intended to regulate the sale of violent video games. And what came out in the opinion was not only are video games also considered speech and therefore can't be regulated. It also talked about the, the lack of research that showed a causal connection between playing a violent video game and violent behavior. But there were also other legs of that stool in the opinion, and one of which was the industry's doing a pretty darn good job providing information to parents so that they can make informed decisions and not selling these games at retail. Uh, to kids that are unaccompanied, you know, without a parent. And, and so all of that is important in defending the, our industry and preventing regulation that, you know, is onerous, burdensome, and frankly, you know, doesn't do, doesn't, you know, won't even do what we can do. So for an example, outside the U.S., Nobody else has a First Amendment, and oftentimes ratings are the domain of a government agency. A government government rates films, rates video games, and when they they may have regulations on the books that say if it's rated, you know, the equivalent of a mature, they can't sell it. Retail stores can't sell it to minors, mm -hmm. but but nobody's actually. <laughs> checking oftentimes. And, you know, I, I'll stand up our system to any system in the world. I, I mean, you know, I don't think anybody else is getting the level of enforcement at retail that we do, in part because I think, you know, we have, we're, we're spending resources to actually enforce those policies and make sure the companies are compliant. And it's really hard to do. Uh, if you're not sort of dedicated to it and it's just, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I think self-regulation is really the way to go. Federal Trade Commission thinks that too. I mean, we've had former FTC commissioners actually hold up the ESRB as an, a great example of self-regulation. Uh, I think it's good for the industry. I think it protects the industry. Um, you know, people, some people, I think, consider ratings to be a form of censorship. I actually don't see it that way at all. I think it's a way to really protect developers. If you if you are disclosing the content and the age appropriateness of your game to consumers, it's on the consumers at that point. It's up to you as a consumer 
you have the information you need to make an informed decision. It's no longer the responsibility of the developer. On the other hand, if the developer puts out a game into the marketplace and doesn't inform the consumer about what's in it, I think that's where the problems arise. Oh, that's so great to hear you talk about all of that because I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Sometimes people see the ESRB and their knee-jerk reaction because they're not aware, so aware of the importance of what y'all do and how you keep certain meddling hands out of the industry. They think, oh, it's a hindrance. Oh, it's reporting on this game. Oh, this game got an M rating. Now I can't play it because I'm underage. But the work you do is so important. And I love Thank that you. that message is getting spread out there because trust me, we don't want, we don't want certain hands in our industry friends. Trust me, we just don't want that to happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting earlier, you talked about how you market to the parents and how you not market to the parents, excuse me, how you make the ESRB ratings on a little corner of the box again. And so parents can help make their children or help their children make an informed decision of what game they're going to play. And so they can have a hand in what sort of games they played. And I immediately thought about when I was eight years old and my dad took me to Hollywood video I miss uh -huh. my rental source <laughs> and uh, bless his heart. He didn't know what those little ratings were. And I walked out of that store with resident evil too. <laughs> now, <laughs> now resident evil has become one of my most beloved franchises. I've hosted showcases for Capcom, but at the time that game scarred me for, I'm kidding you not two years. <laughs> I, I, and you know, if my dad had just known what to look for. So what steps has the ESRB taken, I guess, since 1998 or whenever to market to parents and teach them the importance of what you do in today's age. So we do a lot. Uh, to reach parents. Obviously, parents are very busy, um, but we do a lot. Uh, we're doing more and more social media, but we've created not just, you know, a rating search on our website and a ratings guide that explains all of the different ratings that we have. We now have something called the Family Gaming Guide, which pulls all of these resources in together and gives you tips on all sorts of things about parental controls, about, um, you know, screen time and, you know, managing online play and all sorts of things into one easy to digest place that parents can go. So that's the family gaming guide, which is available on our website. We also have something called parentaltools.org, which not only has the family gaming guide, but also has specific guides for each of the print sets of parental controls. So, you know, the Xbox, the PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, all you know, and more. You can go to parentaltools.org and get instructions, easy to understand instructions for each one of the consoles as well as other devices, game devices you may have in your home. So that's also really important. Um, we've done public service announcements. We've, you know, we've done all sorts of ad campaigns. We've teamed up with elected officials in a whole host of markets. Um, we've done a lot to try to get the word out to parents. We also just created a resource for Spanish-speaking households called Vamos a Jugar, and um, we are, we're very proud of that. that. That's pulled together a lot of the resources that we had that were already in Spanish. Um, so, so that's a helpful resource, particularly for Spanish-speaking households. Um, but, but you know, it's it's hard to reach parents. Parents are overwhelmed. You know, they are working, both working and 
you know, kids, kids are busy and they've got very, very busy lives. And, and I, and I think, you know, the simpler we can make messages, the better for parents. So that's one of the reasons why we pulled together this family gaming guide, where we just pulled all these various different resources together. So you only had to go to one place to just sort of get what you need. Um, but, uh, we have a mobile app so you can look up rating information on the go. Um, you know, you can just type in the, the name of the, of the, of the game that you're looking for and up comes the rating information. I don't know if you're aware of this, but not only is there ratings information on the box, but for all the physical games that come through the ESRB that are rated, we actually have rating summaries that are a paragraph or two that are written by our raters mm-hmm. who will give you examples of the type of content that we saw in the game that war- that may have warranted a content descriptor. So it'll give you examples of the language. It'll give you, if it's there's suggestive or sexual content, it'll give you the context of that. Certainly it will give you lots of information about the context of the violence in the game. Um, you know, and, and anything else that's, that's really pertinent to the rating information is described in that rating summary. So those rating summaries are available in our mobile app as well as on our website. Um, I know sometimes uh, there's always some fun articles written when an ESRB review summary comes out because people are like, oh, this game got this rating because of this reason. And then the speculation yeah. just runs wild because generally that comes out before we know too many details about a certain game. So that's kind yeah. of Yeah, and we, we're very careful about yeah. not putting spoilers in those rating summaries. But yes, they're they are, they are not only a good resource for parents, but gamers like them too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, we also have a series now called What Parents Need to Know that we are publishing more and more frequently. We first did it on, I think the first one we did may have been on in-game purchases or um, multiplayer games, but we've done a lot on individual titles. Uh, We just did one on FIFA. Um, We've done them on Apex Legends and um, Minecraft is a really popular one. Roblox is obviously a really popular one too, Um, but we've done them on specific games as well as um, different aspects of gameplay. So that's a really great series. And we have, you know, we send those out by newsletter and we post them and social media and all sorts of things like that. But it's hard to reach parents. Uh, We do what we can. And uh, hopefully, you know, we have high awareness. That's good because our ratings have been around for a long time. Uh, Our research indicates 85% of parents with kids who play video games are aware of the ratings and three quarters of the time uh, they regularly use them. They say, and that means, you know, all the time or most of the time. So we, that's been about the same for the last 10 years. Oh. So, you know, we're, we keep trying to push it up a little bit, but I think, you know, we've we've probably hit about as high as we're going to get. I'll take 85%. I think that's pretty damn good. And, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah. So it's not like parents are don't have a clue. I think most parents do, and most parents are doing the best they can. Um, our research indicates that most parents are pretty good about uh, limiting spending, for their kids, they get they get that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can they can set those controls or or set those household rules that forget about it, Johnny. If you spend you know more than a buck <laughs> on uh, you know one whole night, dollar, Fortnite, that's it. Right? That's it. You uh, know, it's, it's interesting because we say the word parents, and I think of these whole other species of people but i'm a parent andrea's a parent patricia i don't know if you have children but i do 
Okay, so I'd be curious to know, how do you think those those statistics are going to change as we, a generation who grew up with video games, become parents and are aware of the industry? Yeah, so our research is indicating that more and more parents are actually playing the game before they let their kids play it. Mm. Um, it's so the best way if you've got the time, right? It is yeah. the best way for sure. And we encourage parents to get in there and play the game with their kids as well. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, more and more... I, I, I think, look, a whole generation of parents now have grew up playing playing games. They know the ESRB ratings. They know they're there. And if they want to play the game, they probably know how to. And so they should uh, check out the game before they let their kids play if they have any questions about it. On the other hand, we have our rating summaries. If you really want to want to check it out and find out, you know, if there's anything in there that you have a problem with, um, they're, they're there. I mean, look, parents also have different thresholds for different types of content. What's good for my kids may not be good for your kids. And and we're not here to tell you one way or the other what's good for your kids. We want to give you the information so you can make an informed decision. But, you know, we depending on the region, we find pretty significant regional differences between, you know, about certain types of content. Um, you know, some regions in the U.S. are more sensitive to language than others. Some regions are more sensitive to, to violence than others. I mean, there are some parts of the country that, you know, where a military simulation because they have such high, you know, military, you know, uh, people who have been, you know, work, uh, served in the military. You know, Call of Duty to them is no big deal. Um, but, you know, it is in other parts of the country. So I think the most important thing is that we provide the information. The, the ratings, the age ratings themselves is just a guidepost. And then the content descriptors will really give you the information as to why it got the rating that it did. And then if you want to really understand what the, more about the content, that's where the rating summaries come in. So it's up to you as a parent, take, take advantage of that information and make your own decision. What's good, everybody? We are interrupting the interview because we want to let you know that this episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by MeUndies. The holidays are officially upon us, and it's time to start celebrating. I'm so ready. Like, actually celebrating. It's your holiday, too, so you should be able to relax and do what you love. If that means watching single-seasonly-themed... Oh, every single-seasonly-themed rom-com. I feel like that's a tongue twister. So be it. Live your best life. Do your thing and holiday your way with me, Undies. It's the most wonderful time of year to try MeUndies because they're currently offering a very merry deal. Get 20% off of your first purchase with free standard shipping and free returns when you go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. Now, Andrea, what is something that you're the most excited about doing this holiday season? Ooh, sleeping? Sleeping. Now, imagine sleeping in sandpaper on your butt. That does not sound fun at all. No, see, if you love to sleep, if you love to watch TV or play video games, you don't want sandpaper butt. So make sure you have a very, very comfortable bottoms with your MeUndies. And I say this because, listen, I love to lounge and play games and chill during the holiday season. Sometimes I'll even turn on the Hallmark Channel. But I like to do it in comfort and style. 
And you, friends, can get your holiday shopping finished early and start making time for yourself with the new Me Undies Holiday Collection. Their undies, loungewear, and sleepwear are made out of the softest, most supple fabric you've ever felt and are guaranteed to bring comfort and joy to all of your loved ones. Shop their classic plaid prints for a traditional picture-perfect style or get festive with their adventurous limited edition sweater prints. Ooh. Available in sizes XS through 4XL, Me Undies has what you need to make all of your favorite people smile this holiday holiday season all in one convenient place. Feel free to start thinking about yourself now. So to get 20% off of your first order, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. True story. I got me, John, and my mom's matching MeUndies pajamas for Christmas last year. Really? Yeah. <gasps> It was fun. I just had this vision in my head of all of us wearing our MeUndies Christmas onesies again when we record some of our content in December. Oh, uh, let's right? do it. We're be in studio together. And my oh, I can't wait, especially for it to not be 90 degrees so I can wear my onesie and not sweat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's get back to the interview. I think it's really fascinating hearing about how the agency has evolved. I would be curious to know in the ever increasing march towards this digital distribution future that I think we are closely getting to, right? More games now yeah. are being bought on digital than ever before. That makes yeah. the point of sale enforcement for things like ratings incredibly difficult. What are you yeah. guys as an organization doing to kind of overcome some of those challenges? And are there certain tools that you're finding that developers and publishers are using to kind of enforce where they can? Because there's only so much you can do, right? Yeah, well, you know, the good news about digital is in most cases, not all, but in most cases you need some sort of credit card and most kids don't have credit cards. So you're going to find a bill if you're a parent, uh, you know, or find a charge on your credit card. Um, so, you know, there is some inherent limitations, um, but but that doesn't, you know, I mean, free to play is a whole whole nother thing. I mean, and that's where parental controls really come in. If you want to block spending, that's or limit spending, you know, the parental, parental controls tell you, okay, you know, you can only spend, you know, $5 this month. So, you know, set the controls. And, and, and so I think that's where that come in, that, that comes in. And then of course the parental controls also allow you to block by age rating. Um, we uh, were very, had a lot of foresight uh, 10 years ago with, um, we realized that we were going to work ourselves into extinction if we didn't create a scalable rating solution, mm -hmm. um, and a globally coordinated rating solution for digital because, you know, physical, you know, you had to get a distributor in every region and, you know, it was very laborious and you had to submit your game to rating agencies around the world to get it rated. And, Oh my God, um, <laughs> those barriers to entry fell away with mobile and digital. And I knew, I, I had been in the internet business prior to ESRB, so I knew sort of how to build technology and, and, um, and systems. So um, we created um, a scalable solution. It was an automated solution to assign ratings. I, I 
I locked my head of ratings in a conference room (laughs) 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 for weeks um, to come up with a a questionnaire and a multiple choice questionnaire and see if you can take what is inherently a very subjective process in your brain to, to look at content and evaluate it and break it down into ones and zeros. Um, and he said, it can't be done. And I said, try. <laughs> You're like, but what if we lived in a world keep where it trying, could? Keep trying until, you know, and they would iterate and iterate and iterate until they found something that was good enough. Um, we first licensed that system to the cell phone companies when they were in the business, you know, in the old feature phones where, you know, you had little games on your Verizon phone and, you know, mm. uh, they were pretty, you know, you know, um, primitive. Basic. But, <laughs> right. Um, but we used it f- for that. And that was a really good test. Um, and that then we decided we would introduce it in a limited way for digital only games uh, on consoles in the US. And so that that worked pretty well. And then um, I, I went around the world and basically took this system that we had developed to other rating agencies around the world. And I basically said, look, if we don't figure out a way to streamline all of this, we're all gonna be dead. And- <laughs> <laughs> so, Got so serious. <laughs> well, I, I think it took a little bit of time for them to sort of come on board with that. But I think they all realized, look, mobile in particular was just blowing the socks off and of, uh, you know, the industry. And there was no way any of us could use our traditional rating systems to rate that kind of volume. So if nothing else, let's create a system for mobile that can handle that sort of volume. Because my, you know, my attitude is I want the ESRB ratings to be available across every game device that, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be broken up where you have to learn a whole new rating system for one device versus another. I want to make sure that our ratings are ubiquitous, ubiquitous, (laughs) whatever. Ubiquitous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Across, you know, all games. And in order to do that, I had to, you know, we had to really come up with a different, whole different strategy. So we built this software as a service solution, a SaaS solution for ratings that we licensed to storefronts around the world. Uh, Google Play was one of our first customers. So Google Play uses this system for all of their apps in their store, not just games. Um, And we have many different rating agencies that are all part of the system so that what happens is when a developer completes the questionnaire, the answers, there's a different algorithm for each region because our cultures are different. How we rate product is different from from Peggy in Europe or USK in Germany or Australia or Brazil or Korea or, you know, so we have all of these different rating agencies who take the answers and create their own logic so that when you're in Korea, you'll see a GRAC rating for that game. When you're in North America, you'll see an ESRB rating for that game. And they could be very different ratings because we use different criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each each rating authority then monitors the ratings that come through the system. And we have the ability, because we because it's a SaaS solution, we're using APIs back and forth with all the storefronts. We have the ability to, to control the rating that's displayed in the store. So if we have to change it, we change it. 
and the storefronts are picking our servers every, you know, 15 minutes. And it's, you know, it's an incredible system. It's completely revolutionary and the developers don't have to pay a penny to use it. So they love it. That's great. And the wow. storefronts, the storefronts are paying their freight, the freight. They're licensing the system from, from, it's called the International Age Rating Coalition. They're, they're, um, and I'm the chair of it. And, you know, we handle a lot of the operations out of the ESRB. But it was the only way we could, you know, keep a foot in, you know, this, this, uh, in the games business, certainly the digital side of the business. So, you know, Nintendo uses it for digital games around the world. The, you know, Sony does the same thing. Microsoft, Xbox does it. Oculus uses it for the, all their VR stuff. Um, and, um, you know, slowly but surely we're, we're rolling out eight different stores have, have, have licensed it. So we're really proud of it. Um, you know, if, if there's anything I, I leave behind, uh, in this industry, it'll be, it'll be iARC. That's really, really impressive and amazing that you had not only the, the foresight to think, Hey, we need to get on top of this before it becomes a problem, but then also to create something like that that didn't exist is yeah. such a, such a monumental task to, yeah. to achieve. So congrats on that. So Thank now you. that you've achieved this amazing thing, are you ready to tackle web three? What's coming <laughs> with metaverse and NFTs? I know it's such a hot button topic these days, but yeah. I have to imagine those conversations are happening within your organization of like, what are we as the agency responsible for helping keep the industry safe for consumers going to do yeah. about this new technology that's coming in. Yeah, we're sort of taking a wait and see case by case approach. Um, I, you know, it'll be interesting. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah, it's so it's so wild to think about how the concept of metaverses have obviously been around in video games for quite some time now. I mean, like Second Life has been around forever. Um, but this and idea of like the blockchain, Minecraft, you know, yoga, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like new thing. I mean, no, it's, it's just the, just the terminology, before right? I the, before I was at the ESRB, Second Life was around. I mean, you know, I mean, that's a really good point. What were you doing before the ESRB? We haven't even asked you. Uh, oh, it's a, it was on my list, and you you mentioned uh, you were working in the internet before the ESRB. Yeah, so. so um, I guess the bulk of my career prior to the ESRB, um, I spent 18 years at ABC and Disney. Um, I developed a lot of new markets for them and a lot of them were interactive. So I was an interactive before interactive was a term. I mean, you know, everything from, you know, direct response video sales on the network to CD-ROMs and interactive laser discs. Ah, uh, laser discs. Ooh. Remember those? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and um, when ABC got serious about the internet, they created something called the Multimedia Group, which I was part of in the early days. And we launched ABC.com and, and you know, Oprah.com and Oscar.com. And I ran the internet group there um, for several years. Um, we had also, prior to that, or during that time, um, I, I helped develop um, or start two joint ventures. One was with Electronic Arts. They had a division called Creative Wonders for kids software that they spun out into a joint venture with ABC. Um, uh, I'm sorry, they had a division called EA Kids, which they spun out into mm -hmm. 
a joint venture with us that that uh, we call Creative Wonders. And we, you know, they had Sesame Street and Schoolhouse Rock and Madeline and a whole bunch of different properties. Yeah. And so we did that for a while until Disney bought ABC and then decided eventually to sell it off. Um, and then we also started a sports games joint venture with Microprose. Um and we had uh, Monday Night Football, college football, and indie racing games. We were the first sports game, PC sports game, uh, to have online competitions. Wow. So, so like um, a precursor to esports? Yeah. Pre no, yes. Pre precursor to esports. Um, it was um, or maybe you know, like in in tandem was, with what was happening was in other really, sections of the industry. It was all virtual. It wasn't, you know, you weren't like, you know, in arenas. You, you, it was virtual competitions. So, but it was the first time you could really compete uh, online. And, um, and so we were pretty, pretty progressive. It was 1996, I think, when it came out. Um, so, so anyway, so I've been, I was in the, the biz um, and um, left ABC and, 2000 did a few other things and then a recruiter came after me to come into the ESRB and um, on the ESA board there was somebody who I'd actually helped create one of these joint ventures who had tried to hire me at one point so, <laughs> so he was like oh my god if you can get her um, and so the rest is history. That's really yeah. incredible. I think a lot of people who consume video games and maybe even watch a show like ours but don't know a lot about the industry don't realize how many people work kind of behind the scenes to make all of the wheels run. Even like the the ESA as an as an organization as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people aren't familiar with what no. they do and they do really important work. Yeah. Um, you know, there's they are really actively out there trying to help companies um, make sure that, you know, legislators and regulators are, are informed about what our industry does and, um, you know, particularly if they're developing regulations to make sure that the regulations aren't harmful to the business in a way that, you know, just, you know, sort of unintended consequences of certain types of legislation. And um, they do really, really good work. And they, they raise awareness of the industry in a lot of, in a lot of, a lot of places where there's very little awareness. Absolutely. But E3, that's all anybody ever sees, which is, which is good. Obviously we all love E3, um, yeah. but they do so much back, more. So we all have to come back, right? Oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, can't wait. 2023. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, while we're talking about you and you know, how you got into the ESRB, um, I would love to hear a little bit more about, you know, what you love about working in games, because as you just told us, you know, working in entertainment is such a different beast yeah. than working in, in video games. You know, is yeah. there something about this industry that, that makes you want to keep staying and, and keep fighting the good fight? Yeah, there is. I mean, I, look, I, um, I was, you know, in, in the beginning of a lot of different businesses. And I got to tell you, the talent that's in the video game industry is superior to anything else I've ever been in. I mean, I, I think we have uh, some of the most incredible designers, programmers, uh, business people, um, 
you know, of any industry that I've ever worked in. So it's, for me, the business is really interesting. It's very dynamic. Um, this work itself, I find the combination, one of the, re one of the things I wanted to do after I left Disney was to try to find a place where I could leverage my business experience, but do something for the public good. And um, this is a really nice combination of that for me. So it's, it's challenging. It's an industry that keeps evolving, which means we've got to keep evolving with it. So you're always learning. You're always being challenged. You're always trying to solve problems. Um, and, um, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's just a, a really, really interesting work. And, I, and the, the, all the, the International Age Rating Coalition activities is, for me, you know, I'm still flexing my entrepreneurial, um, you know, roots, and, 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 I, and I, really, I really enjoy that. I'm going to ask you a basic question, but, you know, it's one that needs to be asked. What games are you most excited for right now? Oh, my God. Well, you know, I'm, I try to be agnostic. Um, I imagine fair, it's like, oh, I fair. love all of my children, all I, I, millions I love, of you. I love all my children. I do, I do. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff out in the market and coming. Um, I, you know, it, it's all good. Um, I, you know. Well, yeah. maybe a, a better way to, to phrase it so you don't have to pick a favorite is, you know, after, you know, so many years of seeing literally hundreds of thousands of games, I imagine, at this point. Do you still find yourself getting surprised and excited when something, you know, comes across your team's virtual desk, so to speak, and you're like, wow, that looks really neat and cool and different. Do you still have that well, wonder? I, I get excited when when my the people here get excited. Mm. Like, you know, they're all active gamers and, you know, they'll come in and start talking about something they were playing last night. And I get excited just hearing them get excited. So um, I, I learn a lot about games because I don't spend a lot of time myself playing them. Mm. But, um, but hearing about them from my team is always, is, you know, always fun. And, you know, the lunchroom conversations are, are really fun. <laughs> I, I imagine the the NDA to work with the ESRB must be very, very long. <laughs> it, it, it is. In fact, we just updated it today. So, yes, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm it. <laughs> oh, I don't envy the people who have to read that and then, and then yeah. sign it. That must yeah. be well, very that's intense. that's really important, though. I mean, you know, look, if you're going to work here, you, you've got to really be respectful of the confidentiality of a lot of the materials materials that that we we you know handle every day I mean, we've never had a leak thank god um, oh congrats wow. oh no we never had a leak um we're really really <laughs> locked, lo really locked down um so it's you know I'm, I'm proud of that but um but yeah i mean people here get exposed to a lot of things before anybody else does and mm -hmm. we we protect that very closely I got to ask a question and it was percolating in my head. So you said the board is about 30 people on the ESRB? Is that the staff. Yeah. The staff. Okay. So I can't imagine how many game summaries y'all have to write up all the time to, you know, really go into detail over how a game got its rating. Do those people write, do, do those staff write those summaries or do you contract that work out? No, we write it internally. Wow. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's, I can only imagine how many re games are being reviewed then. Yeah. Does, well, it, does the process involve reviewing a game from start to finish for those summaries, or is it just like a slice? So the writing, the writing process, um, 
you know how long games are and yeah. how, repetitive, oh, yes. <laughs> and how repetitive some games can be in terms of the content. So what's really important for our raiders is not to get to get burnt out watching, you know, or you know, 25 hours of, you know, a platformer fighting game. I mean, you know, we need we need them to look at the content they need to look at within mm -hmm. the context of the of the gameplay, the typical gameplay. So we don't want them just watching a whole reel of very, you know, violent or, you know, all the language all just like bunched up in one video clip. We we rely on publishers. It's an it's an art putting together a submission. Um, you know, we rely on publishers to fully disclose to us in writing what's in the game. And then we also have a video that they submit. We actually don't play the game because part of the reason part of the reason is because when they need to submit a game to us, it's before the product goes gold. It can be mm. buggy. Um, they have they're still not, you know, completely finished, but the reason why they have to submit it at, at that point is because we need to they need to press discs with the rating information on it. They need to manufacture boxes and packaging and advertising and all that jazz with the rating information. So we need they need to submit it to us before it goes gold. Mm. And um, so getting a video is really important. So we're not, you know, dealing with bugs and crashes and all that jazz. And the other the other part of it is to make sure that that we see the content we need to see. The developer or publisher has to show us the most extreme content, which may take hours and hours and hours to play to get to. So we put it on them, show it to us within the context of the overall, overall gameplay. So most submissions are about maybe an hour, an hour or two hours. Some submissions can be much longer than that. Um, but, but, you know, most games can pretty much, we can pretty much get a feel for the game in, in an hour, maybe two, if not less. And, you know, so, okay. um, yeah. Has anybody gotten their kind of privileges revoked? Like, have they submitted something that was not fully revealing the scope of the game? Cause I have to imagine that's happened at least a couple times where someone's like, well, let's just sneak the ESRB this video and maybe they won't notice. Resident Evil submits a video of puppies and it's like, it's great. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we get asked that a lot. Um, the reality is, is that there's no incentive to do that for any publisher because the ramifications or consequences of not fully, dis fully disclosing content to us it's not just the fines and the enforcement action that results. It's the fact that you have to pull the product, you have to re you modify the product, or you have to modify the rating and all your materials. Or you, I, it's there's no incentive. The incentives are all against uh, not disclosing to us. So mm -hmm. so we don't find that there's any malicious non-disclosure going on. There may be from time to time some careless non-disclosure where whoever did the submission didn't really, you know, didn't really know the product inside and out um, mm. and for, and forgot there was, a, you know, an alcohol scene or, um, you know, maybe there was some language that, you know, even though scripts get submitted to us, maybe there was some language that, that was missing or, um, 
you know, there, there, there are some, some times where stuff doesn't get disclosed to us and we have to correct the rating. It's usually a content descriptor. It's not usually a rating category, but, uh, but that's an expensive mistake for them. Yeah, now that you point it out, I have to imagine that if, especially if you're going to retail and you're printing physical boxes with, you know, materials with the rating right. on right. it, having to redo all of that is not a great look for them. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. So, um, but it's funny, like there's no incentive really to do that. Plus, like if you're, mar you're in marketing, you know what rating you're going to get on your yeah. game. It's not like it's a secret. Yeah. So unless it's a really borderline product, which there are some that, you know, could be T, could be M, could be E10, could be teen, you know, unless it's like a really borderline product, you, you know what your rating is and you have a target rating when you create a product, you know, you know, right. whether it's going to be an M game or teen game and E game, whatever. Um, so there's just not a lot of guesswork. We also make available uh, to all developers who are going to submit to the ESRB um, are our rating ratings people. I mean, not our raters per se, but the ratings department is available at any time during the development process. If you have a question about a particular sequence, a particular mission, a particular character, a particular storyline that you're developing, you can go to ESRB and get an informal response as to what you think it's likely to warrant from a rating standpoint. So there should be no surprises. By the time you submit that game, you should know pretty much what you're getting from a rating category. Maybe the content descriptors will be a little different than you thought they would be, but, but the rating category should not be a surprise. This has been such a fascinating conversation. And I literally feel like I could ask you, I could pelt you with 50 more questions <laughs> in the next minute rapid fire. Wow. Yeah, it's been so wonderful hearing from you, Pat. And thank you know, you. I know we're at the end of our time, but thank you so much for sharing your knowledge about who the ESRB is and and what you guys do, and you know thank the you. the industry that we're in. Obviously, we all love video games. That's why we have been in yeah. an industry this long as well. So it's yeah. it's great. So just to kind of wrap things up, if if people are curious about where they can go and find more, is there like a yeah. specific website or a social yeah. media handle that they can go to? Yeah. So ESRB.org is the website and we have, you know, ESRB, you know, we're on all the social platforms. So, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, we have, um, LinkedIn, if you want to go to LinkedIn. <laughs> hey, you know, more people than I thought are, are active on LinkedIn. Yeah. I guess it's like the, the rising social media side that I didn't yeah. know was, was popping. Yeah. We have, we have our mobile app. So, you know, that, that's a great place to look up rating information. So, uh, ESRB rating, you should probably find an ESRB ratings app on, you know, Android or iOS store. Um, you could, uh, also, um, if you're interested in learning more about the International Age Rated Coalition, you can go to globalratings.com and that will give you uh, more information about which stores have licensed the system, which rating authorities are participating and that sort of thing. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with Britt and I, and thank we you. hope that you have a, a nice relaxing holiday season. I'm sure most of the bulk <laughs> of your work is already behind you as the games are getting ready to go gold over these next couple of months. Well, yeah, where it's a, it's a busy time for us, but uh, you're going to be busy too, as you have to 
uh, ah. <laughs> about all these games that are coming out. So. Yes, we, un we, I don't want to use the word unfortunately have to play the games to evaluate oh, them. Um, but uh, I, <laughs> I know, know. it's job. It's, it's so the terrible. worst. If I there was, they got yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if only there was more Somebody hours in the day. Do it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. That was such an amazing time getting to sit down with Pat and hear about it. And I was kind of hoping she was going to tell us about what she's been playing, but I get the weird position she must be in if she calls out even one game. She must, she'll never probably hear the end of it from all the other publishers being like, what, is our games not good enough for you? I know, I didn't even think about that. I was just, you know, because I feel like you can tell a lot about a person by the game they're currently playing, says the person who loves Resident Evil and all these other terrible, awful, violent games. I mean, it um, does say something about you, Brittany. What I that know, is, right. we'll, li we'll leave it up to the listeners to decide. <laughs> Look at that thing, Viva. Yeah, I totally get it, too. But uh, she, she handled that one very well. <laughs> it's almost like she's practiced, practiced this before. So Yeah, almost. Um, but she did give a lot of great resources. We're going to leave those links in the show notes for you guys. So if you are looking forward to checking out some of those resources, you can click the links down below. And thanks again to uh, Patricia for making time to chat with us. And we hope that you guys enjoyed this interview. And next week, everybody, is a big episode for us. It's episode 300, Brittany. 300. Oh, wow. Isn't that wild? Uh, yeah. I mean, it really is. <laughs> I don't think I can quite wrap my head around it, but that's that's a lot, and that doesn't even include the special episodes we've done on the no. side. No, I think we yeah. we are we're closer to almost four hundred total pieces of content that we've published as podcasts. Obviously, the videos on YouTube and stuff are <laughs> are a whole other a whole another realm. But it is going to be a really fun episode, and we're gonna you know hopefully take a little walk down memory lane and kind of think about what we've done in these 300 episodes. So if you guys have been around with us or if you're new to the podcast and you have memories that you want to share or thoughts about the podcast that you would like to send our way, we would love to hear them and hopefully include them on the show. Contact at whatsgoodgames.com is our email. You can write us on Patreon. You could tweet to us what's good underscore games. Send us a message on Discord, however you want to reach out. And uh, we look forward to celebrating with you guys next week. Um, and until then, you know, maybe we can try to get some sleep, Brittany. <laughs> You're, you're, you're funny. <laughs> Aren't I? All right. Bye, everybody.